If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Psalm chapter 112. Psalm 112. And uh, I want to preach on a godly man this morning, being a godly man. And uh, Psalm 112, as you turn there, What a wonderful text, Psalm 112, and we'll take our text there in verse number 1, and we'll read down through verse 10, and uh, Psalm 112 and verse number 1, the Bible says this, Praise ye the Lord, blessed is the man that feareth the Lord, that delighteth greatly in his commandments. His seed shall be mighty upon the earth, the generation of the upright shall be blessed. Wealth and riches shall be in his house, and his righteousness endureth forever. Unto the upright there ariseth light in the darkness. He is gracious and full of compassion and righteousness. A good man showeth favor and lendeth. He will guide his affairs with discretion. Surely he shall, be, he shall not be moved forever. The righteous shall be an everlasting remembrance. He shall not be afraid of evil tidings. His heart is fixed, trusting in the Lord. His heart is established. He shall not be afraid until, until he see his desire upon his enemies. He hath dispersed, he hath given to the poor, his righteousness endureth forever." His horn shall be exalted with honor. The wicked shall see it and be grieved. He shall gnash with his teeth and melt away. The desire of the wicked shall perish. Let's stop right there and let's pray. Father, we thank you for your goodness to us. God, we thank you for your word and how clear and understandable it is. God, I pray that you'd use me. God, I pray that you'd speak through me this morning. God, I pray that you would just touch each and every heart. Father, as we uh, certainly live in a society in a time when we need godly men. God, I pray that you would help us to be godly men. And Father, we'll certainly thank you for that. God, I pray that again that you would touch hearts as only you can. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. As we... Uh, Look at this passage. I, I want us to understand this, that um, the direction that you're going in your life is so important. Uh, I, I'm not, I, admittedly, I'm not the greatest at directions, but I'm also not inept, okay, uh, completely. And, uh, and so if you wanted to go to Cleveland this morning, you would jump on 77 or 21 and you would go north. I know that, all right? You go north and I know it's up there uh, and it would take you right to Cleveland. Uh, but if you're saying, man, I just can't wait to get to Cleveland and, and this morning and I'm riding along with you and you get on 21 uh, or 77 and you start going south, I'm going to start scratching my head. And I'm going to say either, either this guy really doesn't want to go to Cleveland or he's worse at directions than I am, which is possible, or he needs some serious help. I don't know which it would be. Uh, but, but one of those three categories would probably fit. And, uh, and, and the whole idea is this, that when, when you choose somewhere to go, you have to go there on purpose. If you want to be a godly man, it is not going to happen by accident. 
You're not going to get out of bed tomorrow and say, man, I'm a godly man today. It just happened. I just woke up and I'm godly. It doesn't happen. I think about this all the time. Um, not the godly man, but the whole illustration. Uh, listen, uh, everyone, anyone who lives in a house, and you have to maintain that house, you don't wake up the next day and say, man, my house just painted itself. Praise the Lord. Man, I've been hoping it needed, a, it needed a new coat of paint. I'm so glad that it took care of that itself. No, your house continually degrades. You constantly have to do something. Man, I just, I, my, my piping in my house is, is, is a little old, but it's all good. It's copper. But you never know, man, when that pipe bursts, you're like, man, i got to fix a pipe. Electricity goes out. You know, the light switch, it quits working. Oh, now i got to fix the light switch. Oh, the paint started peeling. Oh, the, the windows need to replace. I mean, things just kind of tend to fall apart, and they require a lot of work and maintenance to stay on top of those things so that they work. And godliness is no different. Our life will tend towards disorder and towards destruction, if you could say it that way, if we don't make it our purpose to stay on top of godliness. And we have got to work towards that. And godliness uh, is so important in a day and age. I, I feel so it's so important to mention this, that uh, as we read this psalm, a lot of times in the Bible, when man is mentioned, it is, a, it is a generic form of mankind. And I just want to point this out, that in Psalm 112, it is not that generic mankind, but it deals very specifically with a man. And unlike some of our Supreme Court justice, I can define for you what a man and what a woman is. Because the Bible defines it. And I'm not just speaking out of my mind, I'm speaking what God has clearly defined and laid out for us what a man is and what a woman is. And so it's very clear. And we look in this, and I believe it's so apropos and so pertinent because, listen, today, uh, being a man or being a woman is often looked down upon and it's frowned. But God gives us instruction for being a godly Man, and there's nothing wrong with that. We ought to be godly men. We ought to be men who love the Lord. And so as we look at this psalm, I'm going to attempt to do this and preach. Uh, a, I got nine points that we're going to get through, eight points, I think, uh, that I'm, I'm going to get through this morning. And so we'll probably run through the points a little faster than I usually do. But I believe they're all important and they're right here in our text. Look with me at verse number one. The Bible says, Praise ye the Lord. Blessed is the man that feareth the Lord. Boy, the first thing that we find is a reverence towards God. Hey, listen, a godly man ought to have reverence towards God. The Bible says, feareth the Lord. And, uh, you know, there's so many people, and, and men tend to think, man, I'm, you know, the, the phrase went back, I don't know when it was, but when I was probably a teenager or college, I don't remember now, so the whole idea of no fear. I mean, though everyone had the sticker on their bumpers, you know, no fear, and, and it was manly to not be afraid, and, and, and there's nothing wrong with that sentiment, but I'm telling you that, that fearing God is a good thing, and it's a necessary thing. And it's not a fear of, well, I'm scared to get close to God, or, oh, there's a Bible, I want to stay away from that, or there's a church, I'm going the other direction. It's not that kind of fear. It is a reverent fear of respect that says, hey, I know 
that God is the author of everything. And therefore, I am subject to Him because He is God. And, uh, and so we need men that will fear the Lord. Hey, we need fathers that will lead in the fear of the Lord and teach our children to fear the Lord. There's nothing wrong with fearing the Lord. We ought to reverence and fear the Lord. Hey, listen, fearing the, uh, the Lord is not pleasing to the world, by the way. It goes contrary. It flies in the face of what this world thinks and what this world propagates. And, uh, and, and they portray while going to church as weakness. They portray reading the Bible as weakness. They portray trusting in the Lord as a, as a crutch and a weakness. Let me tell you something that God says, hey, blessed is the man that feareth the Lord. And we ought to be men that would fear the Lord. We ought to have a reverent respect for who God is in our life. We understand the first thing is the reverence of the Word. Look with me the second phrase there. He says, that delighteth greatly in His commandments. I put down there that relish in His Word. Not only reverence for the Lord, but relish His Word. To delight means to take great pleasure in. We were talking the other day at VBS and, and uh, uh, come out that I, I like chocolate. I don't just like chocolate, I relish in chocolate. I just, I like, I mean, man, there's nothing like taking a piece of chocolate, sticking it in your mouth, and just letting it just saturate the whole mouth. I mean, I like that. I love chocolate. And, and, and I delight in it. And uh, I delight, I was thinking yesterday, I had, uh, I, I had a little bit of time, and, and so I was tinkering around my garage, and I finally got some things fixed out that I wanted to get fixed, but sitting in my garage forever, and, and I got some of those things fixed, and, and I don't know why, but I, I just relish in being able to fix things and make them work again. It just, I, it's, I enjoy it. And, and maybe your hobbies are different, that's okay. I mean, we're all different, praise the Lord for that, I'm glad we're not all the same, but Maybe you relish in some things, and that's fine. But what we ought to relish in is the Word of God. We ought to take joy in the Word of God. The psalmist said it this way. Uh, he said, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in His law doth He meditate day and night. Listen, the Word of God ought to be our staple, not just something that, well, we're going to church on Sunday. Man, where did I put my Bible? I can't find it. I, have you seen my Bible? I forgot where I put it. And we're scrambling around the house trying to find our Bible on Saturday night or Sunday morning. Hey, listen, our Bible ought to be a hand's reach from us every single day of the week. We say, man, I need the Word of God. You say, man, I, I don't like it. Listen, I went to Peru. There were some things I didn't like. I'll be honest with you, I did not like rice at all. And I know it's, it's funny, my last name's Rice. I know it's just kind of funny, but I did not like Rice is messy, I just didn't ever like it. They eat rice with every single meal in Peru. I remember one time the missionaries were, they wanted to serve something special. So they said, let's fix lasagna. And they fixed lasagna. And, uh, and so uh, the Peruvians were tasting the lasagna. They're like, oh, this is good. And, and one of them pipes up and says, where's the rice? There's no rice. 
They had to put on a pot of rice, I kid you not, that served rice with lasagna, because they ate rice with everything. I didn't really care for rice. But you know what? After I lived there for so long and I ate it regularly, it started to grow on me. And now, on occasion, I'm like, let's have rice. I haven't had rice in a long time. Let's have rice. There was other foods that were weird that, that you just kind of grow on you. And my point is this. Listen, your flesh probably doesn't like the Word of God. Your, your flesh, it goes against what your flesh desires. But you know what? The more that you read it, the more that you spend time with it, the more that, uh, that you dive into the Word of God, the more that it will grow on you, and pretty soon you'll be saying, man, I need to read the Word of God. Hey, it's helping me in my life, and I've got to spend time in the Word of God. And you get accustomed to the Word of God where it helps you in your life, and it will change your life. And here the psalmist said, he said, uh, that delighteth greatly in his commandments. I was looking over this this morning, and I thought, I've thought of this before, that the psalmist, when he wrote this, listen, he only had the first five books of the Bible. He had Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Now, how much time do you spend in those books? They're not stuff we really relish in. That's all he had. He had five books of the Bible. I, I broke down the math. I got to wondering, saying, uh, I wonder what that fraction is. I mean, uh, how much more do we have? And, and roughly, it's not exact, but roughly, uh, it was terrible doing the fractions, by the way. I can't stand fractions. Come out to like two-sevenths of what we have today. We have, we have a whole lot more of the Word of God to enjoy than he had. I mean, we have all the Psalms to read over. We have all the New Testament that, play, praise the Lord, talks about our salvation and talks about our, our security and our sanctification and everything that's written in there in the New Testament. Man, we have so much more of the Word of God to enjoy than He had. And He said, thy, I, I do delight in Thy commandments. And He said, I meditate upon them day and night. Oh, how we should spend time loving the Word of God. Hey, it's manly, it's good to love the Word of God. We ought to relish in His Word. A godly man will relish in the Word of God. Look with me in verse number 2. The Bible says this, His seed shall be mighty upon the earth. The generation of the upright shall be blessed. I put down for verse number two that he would be responsible. We find that he reverences the Lord, that he relishes in the word, that he would be responsible in verse number two. Listen, he would teach his children. Boy, how we ought to teach our children. Teach them. What do you teach them? Hey, teach them how to work. Teach them how to do chores. I'm telling you, we, write, we have a generation of people that simply do not know how to work. They've never been taught to work. I mean, I, I hear stories of my kids when they would go to work at these places, and, and uh, many of them are they're hiring teenagers, and you know, they're at that, that age, and, and they're like, man, they, they didn't even know how to mop the floor. They didn't know how to take out the trash. They didn't know how to wash the dishes. And, and, and I'm saying, hey, we've got to teach our children to work. That's our responsibility as parents. That's what God would like for us to do. He says there in verse number 2, His seed shall be mighty upon the earth. You don't get that from being lazy. You get that from working. 
They became mighty upon the earth. The generation of the upright shall be blessed. Hey, teach your children to work. It's important. Teach your children uh, ethics and morals. That's what it says in the second part of that, that they shall be blessed. Listen, you're not going to be blessed uh, if you're you're a lying, cheating, stealing uh, person. That's not who God blesses. The Bible says that very clearly and plainly. Hey, we need to be morally uh, upright. We need to be uh, honest. We ought to have ethics in our life and do what is right. Teach your children simple honesty. Be responsible as a godly man. I know that many times uh, uh, much of the instruction is passed off to mom, but I'm just saying, hey, men, we've got to take time with our children and instruct them in some things. It's important for godly men to be involved. This psalm is written specifically to the men. Look with me in verse number 3. He says, Wealth and riches shall be in his house. We all love that part. But look at the following phrase. And his righteousness endureth forever. Righteous. Not only reverence, uh, reverence God, relish in His Word, be responsible with teaching our children and the generations that would follow, but righteousness is a reoccurring term theme throughout this psalm. It shows up in four different verses where he talks about self, uh, righteousness. Listen, uh, we ought to live right. I've said it before and I'll say it again. More is caught than is taught. I've given an illustration about uh, somebody that has grown up and, and, uh, and they would smoke cigarettes their whole life and they'd tell their children, now don't you smoke as they're sitting there puffing on a cigarette. What's their child going to do? They're not going to listen. They observe. They watch. You know what? They're going to do what they see. And it's so important as fathers and as men that we live righteously before our children so that they see our life as a testimony. He says here that uh, uh, the second part of that verse says, and his righteousness endureth forever. Hey, listen, righteousness starts at salvation. We can't be right without being saved. It is not possible. You can try and live right. You can do all you want. You can try and uh, conform yourself, but I'm reform yourself rather. But I'm just telling you that Jesus Christ is the only one that can pick your feet up and place you on the right path to do right. That starts at salvation and its righteousness. We ought to uh, reverence the Lord. We ought to relish in His Word. We ought to be responsible. We ought to be righteous, which occurs over and over in this passage. Look at verse number 4. He says, Unto the upright there ariseth light in the darkness. He is gracious and full of compassion and righteous. That righteous shows up over and over. But I want you to notice in verse number four that he rises above the correction or corruption that is around him. Unto the upright there ariseth light in the darkness. Listen, you don't, you don't have to watch the news very long to find out that we are surrounded by corruption and wickedness. Listen, that's not a past to live with that corruption and wickedness. 
That's not a pass to say, well, I'm going to, well, everyone else is doing it, so I'm going to do it. Uh, well, everyone else lives that way, so I'm going to live that way. Listen, we live in a corrupt day, but Jesus Christ gave us light so that we could live different. He said in John 8, 12, Then spake Jesus again unto them, saying, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. Praise the Lord that God has given us light through salvation, and we don't have to live in darkness. He says here that the light uh, ariseth a light in the darkness. Hey, listen, we need to be a testimony. And be righteous as that theme reoccurs. And be right and live right. In a wicked and lost and dying world, we need to be a witness to those that are around us. I love this verse because he goes on and he says, He is gracious. Boy, the world is not a what I would describe by and large as a gracious place. Boy, we need to be great. You know what? It, it doesn't take much to be a gracious person. And people are like, well, that was nice. I mean, they don't see that in the world that often. And we have an opportunity to be gracious. What is gracious? It's courteous, kind, pleasant, showing God's grace to other people. And I know the world thinks, well, graciousness is not manly. Listen, God says it is. That we ought to be gracious men. There's nothing wrong with being a gracious man. And God calls us to graciousness. He says right here, He is gracious. We ought to be gracious. Not only that, but full of compassion. You know what compassion is? Sympathetic, pity, concern for the suffering or misfortune of others. Listen, the world will tell you that it's not manly to be compassionate, but God would tell you, hey, it is manly and it is right and it's what God requires that we would be compassionate towards other people. Hey, we ought to be compassionate. It's manly and it's godly to be compassionate. There is nothing wrong with being compassionate. And by the way, look down there in verse number 9 and 10. He covers it again. He says in verse number 9, He hath dispersed, He hath given to the poor, His righteousness endureth forever. His horn shall be exalted with honor. He says there in verse 9 that, hey, His compassion is shown in His giving. He's somebody that's going to help out others. He's willing to give. Then he says there at the bottom of verse number 4, righteousness, that reoccurring theme. Sometimes we, prone, we are prone to think that graciousness is not taking a stand. Sometimes we think that, that compassion is not taking a stand. It's, it's like being soft on sin or being soft on other things that are right and, not, and, and things uh, that are not right and things that we should not be soft on. Can I tell you that Jesus Christ is the greatest example of this? There is no doubt that Jesus was a gracious person on this earth. I mean, how, how many people did he heal? How many people did he go to and, and say, hey, let me heal you. Let me take care of this ailment. Uh, let me take care of your blindness. Let me take care of your, uh, your problems of your life. He was gracious. He was compassionate. He saw the poor and needy. The Bible says in Matthew 9, 36, uh, that, that he, was, uh, he had compassion on the, the people that were spread about uh, because there was no, they were as sheep having no shepherd. 
He was compassionate. There's no doubt about it. But listen, when it came time to uh, be firm on things, it was that same Jesus that, yes, was gracious, yes, was compassionate, that went into the temple and turned over the tables and said, hey, thou shalt not make my father's house a den of thieves. He was firm on things. Being gracious and being compassionate does not mean, oh, that we, we can't uh, take a firm stand. You ought to be firm on things, but you can be gracious and you can be compassionate. Jesus impersonates that very well in an example. We need to rise above corruption. Verse number 4. Verse number 5. It says, A good man showeth favor and lendeth, Last phrase, he says, he will guide his affairs with discretion. I put down rational. We ought to be rational. We ought to be wise in the world's business. Discretion is the quality of being discreet, wise conduct and management, cautious discernment. Hey, we ought to be wise in our business affairs. We ought to be wise uh, in this world. Just because we're Christian, just because uh, we have compassion and grace, doesn't mean we throw wisdom out the door. No, godliness is just as wise. Godliness is being dis having discretion and rationale in, in uh, doing the things we do. Go with me to Isaiah chapter 28. I want you to see this verse. Save your spot there in Psalm 112. We'll be back. But Isaiah chapter 28, verse number 23. Isaiah 28, 23. We're talking about being rational. And, and godly men can be very rational, be wise, and use discretion. I love this passage, Isaiah 28, 23. The Bible says this, Give ear and hear my voice. Hearken and hear my speech. Doth the plowman plow all day to sow? Doth he open and break the clods of his ground when he hath made plain the face thereof? Doth he not cast abroad the fitches and scatter the cumin and cast in the principal wheat and the appointed barley and the rye in their place? For this God doth instruct him to discretion and doth teach him. For the fitches are not threshed with a threshing instrument, neither is a cart wheeled uh, cartwheel turned about upon the cumin, but the fitches are beaten out with a staff, and the cumin with a rod. Bread is bruised because it will not ever be thresh, threshing it, nor break it with the wheel of his cart, nor bruise it with his horsemen. This also cometh from forth from the Lord of hosts, which is wonderful in counsel and excellent in workings. I, I, I have... I just wonder. I can't help myself. I, ever since I was a kid, I wonder, how does this thing work? How does this thing work? And I tear things apart. And sometimes I couldn't put them back together. Now, I look at things and I, I just, it, I just, that's who I am. I just look at things and I'm like, how, how does this work? And then I start thinking, whoever came up with this? Who, who, design, who, who was the first one to make a wheel? Who was the first one to make a, a cog that would turn another wheel, that would turn another wheel? Who was the guy who invented, sometimes I wonder about food, but not so much. I'm like, who decided to put, uh, to put flour and butter and, and mix it, and if you put it in the oven at this temperature, and, and that it'll come out good? I mean, whoever thought of all that stuff? Now, I wonder all of that, and if you read this, you know who it is? It's God that gives discretion. 
Hey, if you think about it, it's God that helps you understand all of those things. He's talking here about, honestly, some things I really don't understand, and I, I didn't take the time to look into them. But, but really, in plowing, he said, who, who taught man how to break up the ground? Why didn't man just throw seed on top of the ground and expect it to grow? God taught him to break up the ground. Who taught man uh, when to plant the wheat, when to plant the rye, when to plant the barley? Who, who was the one that taught man that? That was God. God gives discretion in running businesses and, and prospering your life. Who was the one that taught man how to beat out the wheat? Uh, how to take and, and take a millstone and to crush it. It was God that helped man understand all of that. And God gives man wisdom. And one of the ideas of, of manliness and godliness in verse number 4 or verse number 5, He will guide His affairs with discretion. Hey, listen, God will help us if we're dependent upon Him. We ought to be uh, rational in our business, God, it says in verse number 26 of Isaiah 28, For God doth instruct him to discretion and doth teach him. Hey, it's godliness. We see that rationale in verse number 5. Go with me to verse number 6. We're on number 7 if you're keeping note. Verse number 6, the Bible says, Surely he shall not be moved forever. The righteous, there's our underlying theme again, shall be an everlasting remembrance. Verse number six, I put down resolute, unwavering, unmovable. Listen, faithfulness is a great quality trait that is lost today. Hey, there's, there's faithfulness that seems to be thrown out the window and, and, and people don't want to uh, be faithful to anything. They don't want to be committed to anything and they don't want to join anything and they don't want to get married and be committed. And, and so there, you know, there's no commitments and there's no faithfulness. And I'm just saying that the Word of God tells us very clearly, hey, that there's something to be said for faithfulness. Faithfulness stabilizes your life. It anchors you and it keeps you uh, from moving and being changed. And the Bible says here in verse number 6, Surely he shall not be moved forever. I was thinking about the example in, in Yellowstone National Park. I've never been there. But the, all the geysers that were there, I was looking them up and just reading a little bit about them. And, and you know what the one that that's everyone talks about? Old Faithful. You know why? It's not the biggest. It's not the greatest. You know what it is? It's faithful. They can predict when it's going to go off. They know that it's like every, I think, an hour and 20 minutes, hour and 35 minutes, somewhere in there, they got a short window, and man, it goes off, and it goes off, and it is the most sought-after geyser in Yellowstone. Why? Not because of how large it is, not because of how impressive it is, because you can go there and pretty much know, I'm going to see that thing go off. It's faithful. Hey, listen, there's something to be said for godliness and faithfulness. We need men who are going to be faithful to their families, faithful to their wives, faithful to your Bible reading, faithful to your church, faithful to your work, faithful in your giving, faithful in doing what God would have you to do. Just be faithful. 
to what God wants you to do. Resolute, unwavering, unmovable. The Bible says, surely he shall not be moved forever. Resolute. Look with me at verse 7 and 8. And we'll finish this up with the last one. The Bible says, he shall not be afraid of evil tidings. His heart is fixed, trusting in the Lord. His heart is established. He shall not be afraid until he see his desire upon his enemies. Verse 7 and 8 uh, tell me that he's trusting in the Lord and we find the reliance on God. We started out saying a lot of people think, well, church and God, that's a crutch. No, listen, it's manly to recognize our weaknesses and say, God, I need your help in these areas because I'm a man and I'm weak, and I need your strength, and I need your help in these areas. Listen, there's nothing wrong with depending upon God. We ought to. Matter of fact, there is, is there something wrong not depending upon God. This society will tell you, well, you, you man up, and you do it yourself, and, and, and you pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. Listen, we can't do that. It's not possible. We find that we'll fail and we'll fail, fall on our face over and over and over. And the Bible says in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge Him and He shall direct thy paths. We need to trust the Lord. The greatest min misconcept is that a man is strong enough to handle everything. No, we're not. We're just not. But God is. And you can trust Him. And you can put your faith in Him. These last two verses sum that up, that we need to be reliant upon God. It says, He shall not be afraid of evil tidings. Not because He's strong, not because He is wise, but rather because His heart is fixed, trusting in the Lord. His heart is established. He shall not be afraid until he see his desires upon his enemies. You look at society. You say, man, where, what, what is going on in the world today? I'll tell you, I don't know. Sometimes I wonder myself. But you know what? I don't know what all, the, what all is going to take place. But I can tell you this. I got a hold of the Lord. And I'm going to hang on to him. And my trust is firmly fixed in Him. You think about this. Think about history just for a moment. I don't want to scare you, but think about history. How many countries have come and gone since Jesus walked on this earth? Christianity doesn't hinge on a country. It hinges on God. And listen, we ought to be a... And, and I'm, I'm a red-blooded... I, I tell people all the time, you cut me, I bleed red, white, and blue. I love America. I do. But I'm telling you, I love God. And we're to be a Christian above all things. Our dependence is upon God more than upon this country. Because God is the one that can provide. God is the one who does know what tomorrow holds. God is the one that we ought to be trusting in. And we find that we need a reliance upon God. All eight of them, I'm not going to run through them again. I hope you wrote them down. They're right there in that chapter. They're pretty clear. Hey, that we need to be men of God, dependent 
upon God. With every head bowed and every eye closed as we stand to our feet. A godly man. You have to go there on purpose. It's not going to happen by accident. It's going to have to be something that you determine and that you purpose in your life. And you say, hey, I am going to work towards this. I'm going to reverence God. I'm going to relish in His Word. I'm going to be responsible with my kids. I'm going to follow God. I'm going to uh, be, be uh, reliant upon God. It's got to be you determining the direction. And say, I'm following God. Father, we thank you for your goodness to us. God, we thank you for your word and how clear it is. God, I thank you for Psalm 112 that you put in there for us. That we could know what a godly man ought to be. God, help us to live following you. We'll thank you for that. In Jesus' precious name, I pray. Amen. As the piano begins to play with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, if God's spoken to your heart, the altar's open. A godly man. As the piano plays, the altar's open. Men, we got to have God's help. we got to have God's strength. we got to have God's ability. we gotta, We have got to relish in His word. Resolute. The altar is open.